This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Back of the Nest is sponsored by Pitch Sport Football. Pitch Sport is a fantastic app that enables you to predict scores, choose your team, and compete with others in the wonderful match prediction game for play. So to get you involved in that, we are offering a £50 prize for the highest ranked player in the Pitch Sport for play League this coming weekend. To be eligible, download the Pitch Sport app, log in and select your four results in the for play League. Finally, tweet us your username and the highest-ranked Palace fan will win £50. That's this weekend only. What date is this weekend, everybody? What date is it? What date? It's the it's the 10th and 11th, and I assume there's a Friday game. So 9th, 10th, and 11th, and if there's a Monday game, I guess that'll be the 12th. But this weekend of football, do get involved. Download that Pitch Sport app, log in, select your four results in the four-play league, tweet us your username on Pitch Sport, and the highest ranked of all of you will win a massive £50 this weekend only. The Match Report. Sponsored by Pitch Sport. Available to download on the App Store and Google Play. PitchDMM.com Hello and welcome to the Back of the Nest Match Report. I'm Chris Hambling and I'm your host today as we look back at a well-earned point away at a wasteful Everton. With me today I have Mr Mike Scott. Hello. Hello. Good to be speaking to you again after a three-week break. I also have Mr Dr Kerners. It has been a while. <laughs> we yeah, are you- back. <laughs> You remember podcasts, right? Anyway, um, yeah, listen, it's good to have both of you on joining me today to talk back, you know, back to a game that, well, we got a point out of it and uh, we'll talk about how in just a moment. But before we get into any of the match detail and you hear the wonderful opinions of those two gentlemen and myself, of course, let's get into some Palace news from the week. And Mike, the Palace women got uh, got beaten quite badly, didn't they, by Sheffield United? Yeah, it's weird. The um, the women's championship has become sort of split down the middle, where where the top teams are just hoovering up all the points, um, 
And the teams that are not on form are, are getting, yeah, they, I mean, bad results. So Palace haven't won in four now, lost three in the last four, um, lost 3 0 to a Sheffield United team that are on a bang on form. Um, too late because because Leicester won the uh, won the championship title this week. They're streets ahead of everyone else. So there was various congratulatory uh, tweets going around, including from the the Palace women's account. Uh, yay them! I mean they they've won by a, a, a canter by a country mile. But uh, Sheffield United heavily beat Palace three nil, um, and. It was a couple of goals from a Katie Wilkinson. Um, it wasn't on the FA players. So I didn't get to see it. But um, yeah, I mean, Palace have basically got two games left this season. Um, and the only real thing they can do now is finish above Blackburn, who are one place above them in seventh at the moment. So um, it's petering out a little bit. Yeah, it must be. Uh, again, it's an odd time anyway for, you know, when football comes towards the end of the season uh, and you start to have not, not to have things to play for. But, you know, obviously in the middle of, of a pandemic and, and all that kind of stuff as well, it, you know, I'm sure you're getting lots of odd results. And, and like you say, those teams with foremen uh, seem to be doing away with the rest. But worth reminding everybody that there's a fantastic interview done by Sam and Chris uh, with Lee Nickel. Uh, very interesting person, fascinating interview. Uh, so check the podcast. It's um, the one right before this, other than the preview show, isn't it? I think so. Uh, yeah, check just a couple back. Um, it's, it's, re- it's so insightful. Some of the stuff she says, um, particularly when she was asked about um, how how they're dealing with the fact that they're often on at the same time as as the men's team and stuff. A great interview. Um, well worth a listen. Indeed, it is. So um, as well as a lot of you would already have seen, and it's it's been been talked about podcast already but we'll, we'll just quickly mention the fact that Connor Wickham returned to competitive action in the under 23s um, and scored twice as, as the under 23s beat West Brom 2-1 with a certain well you know it was an opening goal from a certain Christian Oxlade Chamberlain we've heard that surname before haven't we um, but Connor Wickham scoring in the 14th minute and getting a penalty in the 35th minute uh, to you know, welcome himself back to competitive football with a couple of goals there, and no sign of him on the bench, of course, at the weekend. But they are your thoughts on uh, on Connor Wickham's return? Yeah, I've I've got a bit of inside information and um, about Connor Wickham, and that that is he's back. And if you don't jump on the Connor Wickham bandwagon, then you're going to be left behind. And I'm telling you, he's had all these injuries. And now he's finally back, back playing for the under twenty three. He's he's back. No, no, no I say he's what? back. Oh, okay, right. I was, I was, yeah, okay. I was confused for a minute. All right, that he, makes sense. He's back, and trust me, in couple games time, you're going to see Conor Wickham with the first team. And if he does, if Roy doesn't give him the opportunity, then lock up Roy. Um, but he's had all the injuries. I've been thinking about. Surely, if you injure yourself so many times, you there will be nowhere left to injure because you've already been injured. <laughs> so I firmly believe that Conor Wickham is here for good, and that mm-hmm. we're going to see the best out of him. Have you seen that pass mm-hmm. that he done a couple weeks ago? I think it was an mm. under-23s game. It was like from midfield all the way to the striker. And it's like, it was just amazing. And I'm telling you, Roy, give him the chance. This man is a player and a half. So I'm jumping on his bandwagon. I encourage others to jump on it as well uh, and believe in this guy. So okay. he's, he's torn every ligament he has in his body. And your argument is there's no ligaments left for him to take. Exactly. <laughs> and right, he's excellent. back for good. Excellent. Can I just point out as well, you're saying you're jumping on the Connor Wickham bandwagon. Actually, what you've done is start driving the Connor Wickham bandwagon. Currently, it's just you sitting on that bandwagon. Um, and his and mum. And, yeah, and his no. mum. And, and you're desperate <laughs> to get some people to jump on it with you. Um, 
DR, if Connor Wickham scores a goal for Palace in the rest of the season at first team level, I will give you £13. Why 13? That's just the figure that I came up with. Anyway, next in the news, uh, the under-18s. Mike, you popped this one in there earlier, and I haven't been paying too much attention uh, because of, you know, bank holiday weekend shenanigans. So, But it was a 4-0 victory uh, um, to draw level with Fulham at the top of the table after they they beat Southampton. So I don't know if you got a chance to watch it, but, um, but, you know, certainly another very, very good performance from a team that's done tremendously well at the top of that league in their in their opening season at their level yeah I mean not a lot else to add there other than um proper professional performance I've only seen the, the highlights but um you know it was it was only one nil at half time and and they seemed to as the game wore on um just just wear them down um and it's always the sign of a good side a side that's in form when they you know they, they put a couple of late goals in um, so yeah, e- e- excellent work, and like you say, they're, they're level at the top of the league. So it'd be interesting to see if they can they can win win that because that that, that kind of silverware will be up there with the the Zenith data systems, won't it? Absolutely in, in right. The trophy yeah. cabinet. <laughs> well, there's some interest just to pick out the the names of the scorers really. So Jack Wells Morrison, who's um, winning a fair few plaudits at that level. Um, you know, he, he he had an early opportunity and hit the post, but it was. Um, Malik Kadugan. Now, you might recognise Kadugan as a surname. I believe Malik is the cousin of Kieran Kadugan, a former Palace youth player, um, who's disturbingly, if you if you remember Kieran breaking through, you're at least as old as me. And then, you know, the fact that he's now, I think, knocking on the door of 30, perhaps, does, does make me wonder where the hell the times went. But you know, anyway, so um, so one of the Kadugan family is uh, is making his way through the youth system. Uh, open the scoring with a left foot strike at 1-0 at half time. Kevin Gonzalez, um, decent number 10, um, you know, been kind of eclipsed by Phil Mooney, uh, but still well well regarded. And he's the one who, who doubled the lead, scoring to make it 2-0. Uh, Caden Rodney, scoring three minutes late, makes it three just minutes later. And it was a second for, for Mali Kadugan um, with a late fourth. So, absolutely putting Southampton to the sword there and um, be really, really interesting and exciting to see how the, the remainder of the season pans out at that level. I, I just wanted to ask if there's been any news on, on the, the sort of Raksaki um, uh, move at the end of the season, I, I, not to my knowledge. Mm. No, well, the only thing I would say is that he was, um, I think he was in the, the first team travelling squad for the, for the Everton game because there was a picture of him in the background I think I think I'm right in saying that I saw something on Twitter and unless I misinterpreted it um, I think he was he was there so um, there's some people suggesting that that whole rumour of him going somewhere else is and, and turning down a contract is all about negotiation um, so I think you know he's, he's a play to play look you know he didn't come it was not like he was a you know, a Palace schoolboy and came all the way through. You know, we got him off of Chelsea when he was released at some point. And um, so, you know, arguably there, there's there's not necessarily a great degree of loyalty there. And if he's got an agent pushing, you know, we you know we might not be able to, to offer him what he wants and the opportunities he wants. But um, but hopefully it's just a bit of negotiation because he looks a, looks a real talent. Back of the Nest. Sponsored by Pitch Sport. Fun time videos. Choose your match day squad, post match ratings, and much more. Available to download on the App Store and Google Play. PitchDMM.com. 
Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Okay, it is time to talk about Everton 1, Palace 1. So, I mean, as a spectacle, it wasn't tremendous. But, I mean, as a general point, guys, DRU and I obviously watched it on the watch-along, you know? So, um, I'm I'm not too much... Well, I know what your opinions were. So, I'm going to start with Mike, if I can. And that's to say, what what was your view? You know, just as an overall, looking at that performance, maybe even to split it, you know, between half and half. But a lot of people seem really positive about it. A lot of people saying, well, that's the kind of palace, the kind of football we want to see, you know, so much better after the break. But did you see it like that? Yes and no. Um, I thought that some of our best moves came from catching quite a differing Everton uh, defence on the ball. Um and that's good to see. Um, it's good to see urgency. Um, but when Roy came out and said that he disagreed uh, um, with the the question that had been put to him in the press conference afterwards, um, that we were lucky and and Guaita kept us in it. I I think he's being a little bit economic with the truth there. Um, the stats suggest sure that we had almost as many shots as them, but um, were it not for an incredibly informed Spanish goalkeeper. Um, I, I'm not sure we'd have only conceded one. So yes, I, I, it, there were moments, but like you've put in the show doc, the first half was, was, was pretty turgid really. It, it, if anything, I think it was, it was the subs that made the difference, um, which is good because a lot of the time, especially this season, substitutes have not done anything. Um, and it's good that he had the choice that well, he's going to say that he had Schlupp back. And that's the reason um, but yeah, it, it's good that the, the substitutes had an impact because that, you know that's something that we haven't seen much th- this season. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm torn. I, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say it was um, a vintage or a, a, the kind of performance you go on Twitter and start raving about. No. So Dr. Mike's touched on it there, but Roy very vehemently talking about statistics after the game. Now this is a man who said when challenged about the, how little possession Palace were having, said. Possession doesn't matter. It doesn't doesn't tell you anything about the game. Yet at the end of this game, Roy's pointing at possession and saying it tells us that we were just as good as Everton. That was his view. Similarly, he talked about other stats around, you know, about around, you know, shots at goal, things like that. Make you know, suggesting that these statistics now that were meaningless before, because all that mattered was the score, all that mattered was the was the game plan being stuck to. Now the stats matter because they prove we were as good as Everton. Were we as good as Everton? 
Well, look, I, I don't know if he's changed his philosophy or if he's changed um, how he sees the game during the three weeks off. I doubt it, but it's Roy. It's Roy. We've seen him say crazier things in the past before. Um, you know, he's he's a bit stubborn with his approach. I guess now that um, we had six, six shots on target, I think that the last time we had more than five was against Aston Villa last yeah, well, this season, last year, around 26th of December. So it's been a while since we've had that we've had that many shots. But looking at it, if we're talking about the first half, we were poor. Uh, I mean, we were just sloppy with our passes. Um, we didn't look like a football team. We just looked like a bunch of individuals out there trying to play. And we've looked like that for the majority of the season where, you know, there weren't that many passing options. Um, and we saw Luke lose the ball, which is normal at this point, and I'm used to it. Um we saw Jordan and I, you going deep, trying to pick the ball in deep in midfield, trying to create something. We saw us going forward, struggling as well with Eze. I think Eze's shot was the only significant thing in the first half for us, uh, which wasn't even a dangerous shot because it was pretty much Eze, Wilf and Benteke against seven or eight Everton players because we were still so worried about conceding a goal. And, you know, on another day, if you're looking at the first half, we could have easily gone down 2-0, easily on another day, um, if Everton took their chances. So, first off, different story to the second half. And in the second half now, we can talk about, you know, the subs. We can talk about also how we change our style. I've noticed, you know, maybe midfield pushing forward, etc. So, yeah, I think it's a game of two halves. And in the second half, I think he's got a point, Roy. I think he's, he talked about us being a bit more attacking. And it does make sense if we're talking about second half. But first off, it was poor. It was poor. No, you're right. We did pick up. We did pick up. Uh, we had we had a lot more drive, a lot more attack and impetus in the second half. Um, you know, we seemed to be that little bit quicker. I can remember us talking in in the first half, and we ran out of energy quite. You know, with about half an hour gone, we were dead, weren't we? In terms of talking about it, because we couldn't. It's very hard to sort of muster energy when what you're watching has no real pace, no real energy about it. There were probably three or four occasions where you thought, "Oh, a, a break's on here," but. You know, talking about a break being on, Palace put the brakes on instead and, and went backwards a few times. And as you talked about, going backwards sometimes ended up with us getting caught out. Luca a couple of times, long ball forward, catching Cahill, not marking his man. And, and you know, Calvert-Lewin getting away way too easy. Guaita saving that one was absolutely vital, uh, coming right out to the edge of his area and closing his knees as Calvert-Lewin tries to knock the ball through his legs. You know, those types of moments, you cannot ignore them as much as Roy wants to and wants to talk about great performance and all this kind of stuff. You know, Everton were very, very wasteful. And that was borne out, you know, by by looking at the, the, the who scored um, situation because it talked about the fact that, you know, Everton created a, a high number of chances related to their possession um, and, and created goal-scoring opportunities from through balls. And it was, there were, you know, three or four times they were put through um, through through Palace losing the ball in, in dangerous areas, and it and it said that the biggest weakness from Everton from the game was poor finishing. You think first half alone, I think Richarlison had maybe three headed chances um, and and missed them all when you know at least one or two of them should have gone in. And and second half he had you know an, a really good opportunity. They had a, another great save from Guaita. So you know it wasn't out of the question to look at Everton and say you know, with, with a bit more quality and, and facing a goalkeeper that wasn't as inspired as Guaita was, they would have hammered us and we couldn't have said a word about it. So the kind of revisionism from Roy was a bit frustrating, but I don't want to get lost in that because let's face it, you know, some of the things that we've we've criticised Roy for and, and been very down on him about, 
you know, he very much turned that around in, in this. You know, it was him who, who made the, the brave substitutions, the positive substitutions. Let's talk about the first one of those because, you know, eyebrows raised immediately when he when he took Jairo Riedeveld off the pitch um, to replace him with Jeffrey Schlupp. You know, I kind of, I, I didn't quite know what was going on there. My fear immediately was he's putting Jeffrey Schlupp into midfield. Um, but he didn't, he, I mean, it looked like initially Schlupp went out to the left-hand side and we shifted Eze into the middle. But quite soon after that, it was Zaha out wide left and Jeffrey Schlupp was playing in and around Christian Benteke, um, which was a really positive substitution. Then it was like for like with Mateta going on for, for Benteke, which was a great move as well because Mateta is definitely more mobile, definitely more of a, a handful for people to follow. And he had some really nice touches. And, you know, what what's really noticeable to me is that Mateta won two aerial duels in, in the, what, 20, uh, 14 minutes he was on the pitch? To, and that's the same number that Benteke won in 76 minutes, which tells you everything you need to know about how we were playing up until the fact we made these changes. And finally, bringing Batshuayi on after the comments that he made in the week. Um, and just, you know, again, it was it was a, a fairly brave move to make that substitution as well because I was expecting Eze to go off because that's generally what happens. But, you know, it was Jordan Ayew that went off and Batshuayi was chucked on. And, and oh, first touch in the game, he was put through and, he, and it was, a, it was a, poor, a poor touch that let him down. But the second opportunity he got smashed it in for the equaliser. And those were three really positive, brave substitutions. They were a little bit different. There was a little bit creative thinking in there. And I want to praise the manager for that. Yeah, same here. Uh, the thing I noticed, we don't that often this season, I don't think, I'm, listeners probably going to reply and say that it's like 70% of games, but um, I don't think it's that often that we come up against um, a back three with three playing quite narrow. And what I noticed with Benteke, you know, he's he's great at finding space in a two, but he very rarely found space. And there was one particular attempt from Zahar um, where he, he, he was looking to play the ball square, but just had no option, ended going himself and, and just hit it straight at the keeper. And I feel like Benteke really struggled against having three central defenders. Um, so I'd probably praise Roy and say that he did notice that and do something about it. Also, when you're looking at it, one thing that we haven't seen for 30 games this season that stood out to me is game management. For the first time this season, I actually looked at it and said, wait, they were not like for live subs. Like maybe if James McArthur and James McCarthy was available, that might be in a scenario. But as they got put back into midfield, I was like, hold up. He's done a substitution, but he's made two changes there because it's not like for like, and he's put Eze there, even though he hasn't changed the formation. That's quite interesting. Um, you know, and then afterwards we saw maybe Schlopp out wide, then Wilf went out wide. Then, you know, JP went up front. He brought on Michi. Like that was the first time this season I've seen that. And I know what people are thinking. Why on earth have we waited 30 games to have positive substitutions? Normally, if we're losing 1-0, we'll try to hold on to that 1-0 loss. That's what it feels like watching Palace. But maybe that now that we've stayed up um, and Roy's pretty much confirmed it, maybe he's trying to change his ways. But one thing that stood out to me for, for if you're looking at the game as a whole is that when you put on these forwards, when you put on these attackers and when you told them to go and attack, and yes, Everton did help us by setting back and also their subs did, you know, their subs were a bit ridiculous. They put on the fake JP for James Rodriguez, who was controlling the game. Um, 
you know, they did help us. But these players can play. You know, these players are good attackers. And this is what we've been calling for for the whole season. Yes, we, we picked up points here and there. But, you know, maybe if we gave these players a bit more freedom, maybe if we put on, you know, Jan Fleep and put on Michi and, you know, had two forwards, put Wilf out wide and just tried something different at times, maybe we might have picked up more points because we've got quality there. And them two things stood out to me the most. The one, game management and also, you know, changing it about and seeing what these players can do when they're all together on the pitch. It didn't look bad, did it? No, do, exactly. Do you think, sorry, I was going to say, do you think he's, they, that this is actually the sign of the last eight games for Roy or is it once and you'll never see this happen again? Um, <laughs> that's a very good question. But we saw it at the end of last season where he was subbing with his approach and, and he didn't make that many changes. I guess in the next game against Chelsea, we'll see how he reacts because we were 1-0 down. So let's say that we're 1-0 up. Would he still have made them subs? I no. doubt it. Exactly, no, he wouldn't. Or at nil nil, or at one one. Yeah, or you know, there, there's absolutely no chance that we've seen it so many times. And we we asked the the age old football fans question that we all, that everybody asks at every club when your team is either losing or drawing, and then late on they have a charge and they get a goal, or you know, sometimes you don't, and you think, well, why didn't we do that earlier? And we might have got something out of that game. And you can look at this game exactly the same way and say. Okay, as you t- absolutely and rightly said, Dia, it was clear that Everton sat back. You know, they stuck one up, one up top, and really put everybody else behind the ball and invited us onto them, which you know ultimately turned out to be a mistake. But we might have been able to force that situation that little bit earlier had we just been brave enough to do it. Um, and it's an easy thing to ask; it's a harder thing to know exactly how it would turn out. We know how it turned out when we did start attacking Everton in this game. It turned out pretty well because we carved out some chances, we put them on the back foot and we looked a much better team for it. We don't know for certain if we'd started the game with that same level of uh, of energy and impetus and that same bravery in terms of the team selection and the people in, you know playing where they play, where they finished the game, if you like. Um, we don't know that that would have turned out better, but it, it felt better to watch. It felt like watching more like watching a Palace team in my view. And, and you know, I had I had some enjoyment out of that last 10 minutes or so. But there you go. And, and it kind of leads us into the question that we've had in from Paul Nash, which is, you know, and, and Mike, DR, if you can if you can take this one, please, that would be good. And it's, is there any other manager anywhere that would persist with Ayu and Benteke and continue to bench two younger and clearly technically superior players? Believe it or not, there is. Um, and I'm saying this because with the opposition previews that I've done, Half of the time, I'm shocked when they say, oh, wait, that's what happens to us as well. I mean, our manager's stubborn as well. He doesn't make changes. He continues to play with these players. There are managers out there and there are teams out there. If you actually go and look for it, um, it's not in the Roy that does it, which is quite surprising. And yeah, look, with Roy, he prefers the more experienced players. And in this game, if you're talking about the lineup, I had no problem with Benteke starting. Um as I said before, in the first half, it was pretty much Benteke, Ayu and Eze versus the rest. Uh, and Benteke, as Mike did say, he did struggle with the back three um, a bit at times, especially in the second half. So, you know, you got options on the bench. But, you know, in general, um, with Jordan Ayu, I would have preferred Jeffrey Schlupp starting. I thought, you know, it makes a bit more sense with going forward and attacking um, with his pace. So looking ahead to the next game, 
I will still make that one change. I know we're talking about Chelsea already, but um, I'll still make that one change. But yes, to answer your question, loads of other teams do it. We just don't notice it because we're not invested in other teams apart from Palace majority of the times. I used turned into a Hodgson-style player in that he can play him in a lot of positions and a lot of the time he isn't a striker anyway. Um, but in terms of Batshuayi, um, obviously, while he was over in Belgium, um, he was clearly had asked a very leading question by a, a journalist. Um, you know, he, he basically said, I oh, he prefers it over there, um, playing for the national team, um, which you would because you're going to get a lot more chances from a very dominant Belgian team than a Palace team that cross about twice a game. Um, but, uh, Roy replied by saying uh, playing 60 minutes against Belarus and scoring one of eight goals is not quite the same as if he comes on against Everton and helps them to a 3-0 win by scoring a couple. And that is probably Roy's way of saying Batshuayi is yet to impress me. Um, I'm going to give him a few chances. Let's see if he can. And he couldn't do anything more than he did, in fairness. So let's see next game. Yeah, it's interesting. That could have gone a very different way, couldn't it? You know, if Batshuayi had come off the bench and done very little. and and But, you know, Roy can look at, you can look at that and say, actually, you know, good response, Roy. Well done in actually, you know, because in saying that, you've you've pushed Batshuayi to go and show you something. And maybe that's what he needed. But Batshuayi's comments were interesting because he did talk about trust, uh, you know, and, he's, and he also talked about the trust of teammates and manager, not just the manager himself. So you wonder just how happy he has been with, with everybody around him at Palace and how much that's had an impact. But I still think there's very little doubt that, you know, he doesn't really fit the way that, that Roy wants to play. And, he, and, and he's, he's been something of a waste for us this season. But fantastic to see him come off the bench and get the goal that he did. <laughs> What's the odds? <laughs> I've been thinking about it. What's the odds of Michi coming on? Roy put Michi on because he wanted to prove a point. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then after the goal, he was actually sulking more than... Um, more than being happy. I'm not too <laughs> sure. We saw the replay and at first, looking at the replay on the watch long hand boat, it seemed like Roy wasn't as happy. I was like, what on earth is going yeah. on? Why is he not celebrating? Is he actually sulking? But look, with Michi, it's, I don't think the system has suited him and I think there's, there's there's fair points. So he did score, it's tight margins because he did score goals at the start of the season and yes, there were offside goals but it, it, it wasn't like clear, clear offside. And yes, his perform- performances did start to drop and his first touch, you know, started to, to go away um, as the games went on. But then again, you know, he hasn't had that many opportunities, the system, etc. Um, but I'm happy for him. It's just, mm. it's just annoying that after this game, he can't even play next game because it's against Chelsea and you can't play against your mm. parent club. So, so typical. Yeah, well, there's that as well, but I, I don't think he'd have played anyway. He still would have been off the bench, in my view. And the reason for that, and it goes back to Paul's question about Ayu and Benteke, you know, Roy picks his forwards with, with defence in mind, first and foremost. So he picks he picks Benteke because, you know, he's a valuable player to have back there at corners, you know, clearing the front post. He picks Benteke because he works really hard. He runs the channels when he's asked to run the channels. But more importantly, you know, he comes deep and picks the ball up and tries to bring people into play. Uh, and he's, you know, so his, his primary focus for Roy isn't scoring goals because you could see it. You know, we put what, maybe two crosses in all game uh, for him again. So we're clearly not focused on having him as a as as the main point of attack. You know, that's that's down to Wilf. Wilf gets to run around and, and do what he wants up top and be and be the threat. And then that you move on to Ayu, and if you look at what Jordan Ayew did for the majority of the game really well, it was run it was run back to be a right back, you know, win fouls on the edge of the box, 
to, to take the pressure off the defence. You know, all his all his best work really was in dropping really deep to either collect the ball and win a foul or, or run it up the pitch. It was nothing to do with him being an exciting, tricky winger or a, or, a, or a, you know dangerous forward or anything like that. And then that that points exactly to why Batshuayi hasn't played regularly because he will not do that. You know, he's not a hold up player. You know, he's not a particularly hard worker up the top in chasing people down. He's a finisher, and in a Roy Hodgson team, there isn't really a place for a finisher. Um, certainly not the way that we play right now, and that's where what that's what it comes down to. Um, and I do think, yeah, there are plenty of other managers who would do differently, but Dr is absolutely right to point that out as well. That you know, you hear it all the time, and I know talking to Newcastle fans, for example, they'll tell you straight away that Steve Bruce is exactly the same as one of those managers. Just to point, just to pick one out the top of my head, Mike. Well, that's a perfect segue <clears throat> to ask the question from producer Sam's dad, um, who I'm, I don't know about you guys. I'm very flattered that he listens. Um, assuming, that he, assuming that he does, in fact, listen. Um, he's asked, is Palace the most boring team in the league at the moment? Why does it feel like I've done a day's work when I've finished watching a game? Um, I think slightly different for the Everton game in that it felt like a day's work because um, we were on the edge of our seats for most of the first half, hoping that we weren't about 4-0 down. Um, but as came up in the in the preview show, um, there's, there, there was a, a big old um, questionnaire for um, fans in the Premier League about various things about their club, one of which, do you think your team plays... Um, entertaining football and Newcastle came bottom below us who were second bottom so I mean my answer is probably we're just about on a par with them albeit they had a good two-all draw at the weekend Um, I mean it's boring for the exact reasons that Hambo just highlighted we've chosen our front two based on their defensive capabilities yeah absolutely and and you know, it's the source of my frustration criticism. I don't like to think of myself as someone, you know, who is irrational and has an agenda or anything like that. And I get accused of it more than ever with, with Roy, uh, with, with people who don't agree with me. But, you know, my my feeling with it has always been, I, I can always accept that, that how Roy wants to do things is a way of doing things. It's an acceptable way for our club, for our squad to get to get the point it points it needs to stay in the Premier League, but to me the myth is that it's the only way that we can do that. You know, if if you want to believe that this Palace squad playing this way under this manager is is the only way that we're going to stay in the Premier League, that's fine. You can believe that. It just so happens that I don't. I don't accept. Just like Sam's dad is saying, I don't accept that I should have to be this bored and this unenthused about this group of players. I think they're capable of so much more. And I think a different manager would see that. But there's obviously the risk that a different manager would see something different and and we'd suffer the consequences of that too. So that's my view on it. Yeah, just quickly, look, we always talk about Roy, whether we can do better with the squad, whether, you know, we're overhyping the squad. But also you have to be, the way that Roy talks after the game, clearly the board are happy with what's happening. So I feel like it's just easy to blame Roy, which I've done as well. But I feel like it's bigger than that. It's it's down to management as well. It's down to what they want. Because if they were not happy with us just staying up this season, then Roy would not be here. And it seems like behind the scenes, there's so much uncertainty. We've got someone who's a real estate agent, or not real estate agent, but real estate owner, who just come come into the club at a random point and has a stake now. Like this, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. 
But it is more than just just Roy. And this summer, we've got a lot of work to do because the ambition has to be there from top to bottom. Back of the Nest. Sponsored by Pitch Sport. Fun time videos. Choose your match day squad, post match ratings and much more. Available to download on the App Store and Google Play. PitchDMM.com. The flowers are blooming, the grass is growing, and it's time to chop the weeds. Thanks to our sponsor, Manscaped, you can trim your holes safely and efficiently. And I'm talking about ball trimmers. Manscaped, the global leaders in men's below-the-waist grooming, have an exclusive offer for our audience. Use the code BOTN to get 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. Join the other 2 million men who trust Manscaped. They are here to make sure that you are trimmed and smelling nice. After all, it's time for some spring cleaning. Now, guys, we've talked about Manscaped a number of times. They're a fantastic sponsor. They're still with us because you're supporting them because they support us. And it's not just that. They've got fantastic products too. You know, it is that time of the year where, you know, there's a lot of lot of trimming required. And that's the, it's the same for all of us, really. We can all relate to the need to keep ourselves uh, well-groomed and smelling beautiful. They've got all the products to do that. So there's a, you know, we're talking about the weed whacker at the moment. That's a nose and ear hair trimmer. It provides proprietary skin safe technology, which helps prevent nicks, snags and tugs in those delicate holes. No more gross nose hairs flying in the wind. DR, you're a young man. Any danger of ear and nose hair from you yet? Uh, no, but I've used Manscaped uh, lawnmower before I had my ECG um, last week um for my chest because it was a bit too hairy and i'll just say it was yeah like the quality is there and you can use 20 percent sport sport your not not only downstairs you can sport your whole body it can be used for you know chest and your armpits as well so yeah I, I, honestly i love it it's right next to me here it's got a little flashlight so as i always say if it's a bit too hairy don't worry you'll be able to navigate through it not gonna not gonna lie i used it as a beard trimmer not that long ago because i couldn't find my beard trimmer so uh cleaned it first it's important you clean it first uh and it's very very easy to clean entirely waterproof of course but uh that went that manscaped weed whacker uses a 9000 rpm motor powered 360 degree rotary dual blade system uh, it's making whacking your weeds a time to look forward to delivering maximum confidence whilst providing hygiene and uh speaking of that hygiene all the manscaped products have formulations that keep you fresh and ready for everything that comes your way all day for example the crop preserver is an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer it's starting to get hot outside it's crucial to stop your balls sticking to your leg which yeah we've all been there uh, and obviously dr you're a young man the older you get the more that happens just so you're aware um <laughs> you'll find that the crop reviver which is the toner for spraying on your balls, which keeps you smelling fresh down there, just like those spring flowers. And finally, speaking of smelling fresh, you can complete your grooming game with the new refined cologne signature sent by Manscaped. It, it, it is top quality. We all got some free samples of that. Use it regularly. It smells beautiful. Um, and yeah, get involved there. So smell good and feel good this spring. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BOTN at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code BOTN at manscaped.com. It's spring cleaning, baby, and your balls will thank you. Okay, guys. Well, this is the final topic of the show for you. And frankly, it's some general 
general discussion uh, for for Mike Dr and myself. Some of the topics that are sort of floating around at the moment. Some of the the, the, the sort of Palace based uncertainty. You know, Dr, you've already mentioned the uh, the emergence of a a new board member, which is still adding mystery. But you know, the manager situation seems to have raised its head quite a lot. You've got um, Eddie Howe rumored to be in advanced discussions with Celtic, but um, you know, still heavily linked with Palace and, and Newcastle as well, of course. And also, uh, um, you know, a, a story coming out that Sean Dyche um, was again being very heavily linked to to being Palace manager, someone we've been linked with multiple times in the past, still doing a tremendous job at, at Burnley. Um, he's now commented on that, talking about the fact it's, he's flattered to be linked. Um, you know, and I, and I firmly believe that he's somebody who would would love the Palace job based on what's happened in the past. Um, but, you know, he's never he's never going to outwardly say he wants the Palace job, but I certainly believe that that's the case. And so let's get get your views first and foremost, Mike. If, you, if you're picking between Eddie Howe and, and Sean Dyche, which way do you go? Well, first, I just want to say why you were... Uh... While you were chatting there, I just uh, renewed my season ticket. So anyone that has needs a nudge to do that, um, the first stage is up now, like the cheapest you can get it. I know not everyone can afford to do that, and I'm lucky enough that I can, but it definitely saves you a few quid. Um, I don't honestly know. Um, my gut is Eddie Howe, but the, the Scottish press last week and then heating up even today are... There's there's no smoke without fire and, and there's a hell of a lot of rumours about him going to Celtic. Um, and in all honesty, um, despite what people like Jason Cundy think, um, you know, being at Celtic is would be a huge deal. They're they're a, a big club across across the world. Um, you know, they're going to be in in Europe um, more often than not. So I think it'd be hard for him to turn that down. Other than it's fucking freezing up there. Um, Sean Dice, I feel like you're going to get perhaps more of the kind of Roy style play. So my gut would be I, I would go with Eddie Howe just because I'd like to see some more expensive football um, using our using our strengths um, rather than trying to not concede and, and nick a winner. Um, but having said that, the usual argument against Roy going is it's a risk and. Eddie Howe's style of football, you know, it did lose Bournemouth games of football. There's no question about that. They conceded way more than they should. So um, it's tough. Uh, Eddie Howe probably, um, but I would like to hear Sean Dyche's voice, you know, at every press conference. <laughs> and DR, I know you're, it's a topic that you'll probably be talking about a fair amount on, on YouTube in your various videos. But um, where are you currently sitting in terms of the, the Howe camp or the Dyche camp? Yeah, I managed to talk to myself yesterday on a live fan camp for about 20 minutes about Sean Dyche and Eddie Howe. Look, with, with both managers, I, I don't think there's one clear-cut winner. But one thing that is different to our next manager to what we've got since we've been promoted is the fact that I see it as a rebuilding tool. I mean, all the managers that we've got since we got promoted, apart from Frank DeBoer, I guess, um, have pretty much been at the club purely on the basis of us staying up. He hasn't really been someone who's going to bring us to the next level. And I guess both managers have pros and cons. Look, I'm no expert on Sean Dyche or Eddie Howe. I need to look more into them before I make my final decision. I will split 50-50. But if I had to pick one manager um, to lead us forward, 
I prefer slightly, slightly, and my opinion can change before people bring this up in a, in a couple months' time saying, oh, look, you picked Sean Dyche. It's Sean Dyche. For the fact that with that Burnley squad that he had, um, the fact that he managed to get them into European football and with limited resources, what he's done, he seems like the man to lead us forward in terms of grow us as a club. Because... You know, if we give him the money, if we give him the talent, which I, I, I genuinely believe that we've got a better squad than Burnley. Um, you know, if we expand the stadium, like if we're building as a club, if you're trying to progress as a club and the fact that Sean Dash has done this with limited resources, then I would prefer him. The only problem with Eddie Howe that I'm having is that he was given the money. Um, yes, he does play exciting football, but it's not all about exciting football. Um, I feel like personally results if results get us in a you know top seven or top eight then i'll be happy with that um so yeah eddie howell there's that there's that concern what he done with the money you know he got got on a couple of players from liverpool and other places and they didn't really prove out to be well so but does that change then with dougie friedman at the club you know who's going to be doing the transfers there are lots of question marks so i need to write down the pros and cons and look down at each manager what they've done before i pick but Right now, Sean Dice is edging it for me. And also, there's Frank Lampard, which some people want. So, yeah, I would I, I would understand if you had to pick between the three managers. Mm. Well, at the moment, the Lampard thing just seems to be fans wanting it. There doesn't seem to be any concrete link on that. And frankly, <laughs> frankly, this just seems to be, um, it just seems to be about the name there. And it's, it's not one I'm keen on because I just haven't seen, you know, if he was to go and have an interview for the Palace job, and he used to, you know, to blow the board away in terms of his plans and what he was thinking and how he talks about the game and all that kind of stuff. Great, and I'd be happy with that. But, you know, for me at the moment, there's there's not a tremendous amount to base it on. You know, he had a very talented squad of players at Chelsea, even though a lot of it was blooding youth that didn't have opportunity before, and a lot of people are keen on that. They're still in a huge amount of investment in that club. Um you know, going back to Dice, I've said a number of times, I won't keep repeating myself, but I worry about whether or not the culture of a South London football club is right for somebody like Sean Dice, who's built a really strong culture around, you know, Burnley. He, you know, that's they are they are a Sean Dice team. They're not they're not Burnley Football Club. You know, everything is is as it is because that's how he wants it. And whether or not a bunch of South London kids would be too keen about having being banned from having mobile phones on in the changing room, banned from putting headphones on and uh, while travelling and, and being being around the ground, that kind of stuff. Whether that fits with the culture of uh, a South London football club worries me a little bit as well. But there's no doubt he's worked wonders with that uh, with that club and with with the resources, as you quite rightly pointed out. They are Mike. You want to say something at me? I just just had this image when you when you talked about <clears throat> Frank Lampard being in front of the board. Um, just imagine if he was like the, the Redux version of Frank De Boer. Just turns up with an amazing PowerPoint presentation. And he's like, <laughs> "What you need is Luca in the back three, and he persuades them, and they make that mistake again. That would be amazing. <laughs> nah, but next manager, we have to give them time though. Like even if yeah. it's Sean Dash or Eddie Howe, honestly, next season. Just just stay up and try to build something. Just start something new. I'm not expecting either of them to come in and us to go and progress and win a trophy or win that. I just want us to actually have a plan because right now, Sport and Palace is like, what am I... Like, yes, I do love the club, but what are we doing? It's like, we've got Roy as a manager. We've got agent squads. Have a plan there. That's all that matters. And who's going to lead us? I'm not too sure. But you made a good point about Sean Dash, though. 
I don't know if you'll fit into the South London culture. See, pros and cons with all managers. Exactly, exactly right. And final topic I want to talk to you guys about really was, um, uh, I, again, it, you know, it's been it's been out there a while, but Andros was talking about the contract situation for players and manager at the club and, and said that they have all been formally told by the club um, that it's a difficult time because of the amount of income that's not been received because of COVID, you know, and... and I think if you think about the start of the season, the club really did expect people to be back in the ground in some form for a large percentage of this. And obviously we got we got one game back for 2,000 of us. Um, so they, they, have, they have suggested that the lack of income there has meant that they need to get to the end of the season before they make decisions about who's getting contracts. Now, obviously some people were given contracts earlier on anyway, but for those that weren't, um, it's, a, it's an anxious wait for them. So whilst we can we can talk about whether or not that's the right thing for Palace to have done, I don't think that's really the point of discussion that I want today. I just want to get your views on how much do you think it's actually affecting the team. And Dr, you and I spoke about this very briefly on the um, on the watch along, where I said, you know, maybe we are too hard on Roy at times because you think he's managing in a situation where he doesn't have a contract beyond this season and he's managing a fairly substantial number of his team also don't have a contract beyond the end of this season. And how much of that do you think is, has impacted on the, the level of entertainment, the level of football, the kind of results we've been getting this year? Well, you can look at it two ways. I mean, if you're playing for a contract, you have to be performing. So these players that are getting the contracts at the end of the season, I guess it is a bit hard if you're not playing, but if you are on the pitch, you have to be out there to prove a point. And I feel like we're doing the right thing because, you know, some of these players, they might suit, let's say if it's Daesh, if it's between Daesh and Eddie Howe, they might suit Daesh, but some of them, you know, if, if Eddie Howe comes in, they might suit Eddie Howe. So it depends on which manager we bring in. And that's, that's the million dollar question right now. It, we shouldn't just be given contract extension because one, we've got agent squad and two, you know, let's see what the new manager, if there is a new manager, hopefully there is, because if there isn't, then <laughs> next season, honestly, it's going to be chaos. Um, but if there is a new manager, it will give them the opportunity to also select as well. So I feel like we've done the right thing in terms of business-wise, but I guess in a personal level, if you're thinking about it as a player, you there must be the uncertainty day in, day out. Who am I going to play for? Do I want to stay at this club? Andros Townsend, he's already been linked with Newcastle. He's been vocal about the contract situation, saying it's been given at, at the end of the season. It does play a part. Um, it can be hard at times at Roy, but for Roy in particular, the reason why he's been, he hasn't been given extension, there's a reason for that. I mean, if he was playing at the levels that we should be playing, then he would not be in this position. So, yeah. I wonder if there's a single player that's that anxious to uh, prove themselves at Palace and get another another contract at Palace. Um, I'd imagine they they all want something decent out of the end of it, but um, you know they, they're going to see huge increase in, in their wage weekly wages um, as free agents. So I, I'm not sure it's the worst thing for some of them um, that would have had an awkward conversation anyway. Um, and we know that Palace tend to keep their cards close to their chest so they can release news as and when it suits them. For all we know, there could be one or two that, that have had extensions offered to them already. Um, Andrew's suggestion was that all players um, are going to have to wait till the end of the season. I, I don't think any of them will be that bothered. Um, you know, they, they'll have a sort of mercenary head on for, the, for their own future and they'll all know that they can have an increase in weight. Well, nearly all of them. 
maybe not Benteke, but they can have an increase in wages. So I, I don't think too many of them will be um, really resenting what's happening. Yeah, I suppose the only thing I don't know, because uh, simply because I haven't looked into it, is um, is how many players, at how many other clubs are in are in a similar situation. You know, for for a comparison purpose. True. Yeah. Um, I do think we're probably going to be the only club with a manager out of contract and 10 first team players out of contract. But I wonder if there are any clubs that are in a similar position and how they're getting on. But, you know, part of me thinks that um, I certainly need to be a, a bit mindful of, of being overly critical of the team and how they've played in those circumstances. And I do think whatever happens with Roy, and again, we all know I've, I've been clear about it as much as possible over the months and months and months now that I think, you know, the time is to go a different way. And it doesn't mean I don't respect the job that Roy's done. And, and that kind of reinforces it. I respect the fact that he's worked in that in that situation. You know, he's worked without a contract certainty himself, and he's worked without players having that certainty at, at times as well, which is is bound to have an impact. So credit to him for that. But you know, I think it's it's rebuild time. That's basically what it is, and I think that includes manager and a whole bunch of players, quite frankly. Anyway, that's your lot for today. We'll leave it there. Thank you for joining us. It's been a few weeks um, since we've since we've done this, um, but you know the games come thick and fast now till the end of the season. So thank you very much for listening. Uh, thank you to my panel, of course, uh, to Dr. and to Mike, to Mikey for producing. Thank you to everybody who got in touch, whether we used your message or not. Um, thank you to Pitch Sport Football and to Manscaped. They support us so we can keep this show free for everybody. So do please support them. Like, follow, subscribe on all our social accounts. And of course, the preview team will return in the week. I think they're recording Thursday night to look ahead to the weekend's game against Chelsea. So until next time, come on, you palace. Back of the Nest Review Show, sponsored by PitchDMM.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.